Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Central Presbyterian Church again, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. We're about halfway through a fall series entitled Life by Design, studying what it means to be made in God's image. And this morning, we're going to think about change. What does it look like for us to grow and change more and more into the image of God? We think about change this morning, and yet sometimes we hear people say things like, people don't change. Ever feel like that? Maybe you've gotten a little bit older and you've seen patterns in yourself or in someone else and think, hmm, that can't change, so why fight it? People don't change. Now, that sentiment may be true if it weren't for the Lord, if it weren't for our creator and redeemer, because the Lord has saved us in order to transform us. He's cleansed us from all of our sin so that we might be different, that we might live for him instead of living merely for self. So how hopeful do you feel this morning? How hopeful do you feel about change in your life? I want to encourage you to flip open in your Bible or the pew Bible in front of you to Colossians chapter 3, where we will be studying verses 1 to 14, and let me pray as we turn to the Word. Lord, we ask that you would send your Spirit and open our eyes that we might behold Jesus, open our ears that we could hear his call, and renew our wills that we follow after him. Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. In Christ's strong name we ask it. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. How do we change? Ever think about that question? I mean, if you're willing to believe that you can change, how does it happen? 
And I'm not talking about merely just changing a few habits, exchanging one for another, or changing a few ideas, but how can we actually become different people, truly and lastingly different? Well, the truth of the Scriptures is that if you're a Christian, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, if you've trusted him to forgive you of all of your sins, put roll all of your hopes for the future onto Jesus' shoulders, if you trust him and are a Christian, then he lives within you. And if the Lord lives within you, then your life changes. It's through the love and the life of Jesus within you that he begins to transform your life and mine. And today we're going to ask the question, How? How does that change happen in us? There are three points for us this morning. First, we change by remembering who we are. We change in a slow process that's inside out, and we change in relationship. So let's look at that first one. How do we change? First, we change by remembering who we are. The way that the Apostle Paul argues all over the Bible and all of his letters is that identity drives behavior. That's a bedrock principle of the Christian faith. Who we understand ourselves to be governs how we live our lives. Our identity drives our behavior. We clearly see it in verse 9, where Paul said, if you have, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, Paul's talking to believers here, people who've trusted the Lord, and he says that that old self, that old sinful nature has been put off, and the new self, the new creation, the new nature joined to Jesus has been put on. And that's similar to what we studied a couple of weeks ago from Galatians 2, where Paul says we have died with Christ, we've been crucified with Christ. That old nature that, con- that, was, that we were controlled and dominated by our sin has been nailed in the cross to the Lord Jesus. And he has taken all of that punishment, all of that sin, and we have died there with Christ. And the you of faith, it's trusting the Lord, or you are truly joined to Jesus who's alive in you now. He lives in you. He lives through you. That's the truth of who we are. Maybe it's hard to see. Maybe you look at your own life and think, that's not how I experience myself. That's not what it feels like in my day-to-day experience of living in this broken-down world. But again, remember who you are. Look at what Paul has said has already happened. Look at verse 1. He says, you have been raised with Christ. It's already happened. It's something that happened in the past and has present effect in your life right now. You have been raised with Christ, verse 3, for you have died. That old you, again, crucified with Christ, it's already happened. It's in the past, verse 9. You have put off the old, verse 10, you have put on the new. It's already happened. Now, what I said a few weeks ago is that it's not just the same old you, but you're just forgiven now. The truth is that that old you was nailed to the cross in Christ and this new creation, the new self has come. Remember who you are, Paul says. And when we remember who we are, when we lay hold of our identity in Jesus, our our union with Jesus, it begins to drive our behavior. That identity with Christ shapes how we engage in this world as a new creation in Christ. Well, what does Paul say that you are now? Who are you? Verse 12 
God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's a description of who you are right this moment. Not who you will be, but in Christ, it's, as a justified believer, it's who you are right now. You are holy and beloved in Christ. The Father, the Heavenly Father, delights in you. As in the same way that he delights in his own son, he delights in you now. You are a new self being renewed in the image of God. That's your identity. That's the real you right now. And the more that we grasp that this is who I am now, not just waiting in the future, but this is who I've been made to be now, the more that identity drives our behavior. In other words, if we want to change we need to keep laying hold of the gospel. Keep believing and laying hold of what God says is true about who we are and what he has done for us and how much he delights in us as his blood-bought children. If we want to change, we need to continue to remember who we are through the gospel. I told this story uh, once before about the first date that I can ever remember when I was allowed to drive the family car on that date. I remember the car. It was a blue Chevrolet Celebrity. You remember those cars way back in the 80s? I can't remember who my date was, but I can remember the car. Maybe that says something about me. I don't remember where we went. I don't remember what I wore. But what I do remember, in addition to the car, is I remember my dad's speech before I was allowed to go on the date. My dad followed me out to the car. It wasn't his habit, but he followed me all the way out to the car. And as I was getting into the car, he said four words, just four. He turned around and walked back inside. Now, there's a lot of things that you could say to a son going on a date. I have a 16-year-old son now who takes our car on dates. And I've often thought about what should I say to him as he's getting ready to go on one of these dates. And I think my dad got it just right. Out of all the things that he could have told me, he simply said this, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And it's, it's like that was an, an acorn form, a seed form of all the things that he and my mom had taught me about who I am in Jesus and, and what our family's all about, what our values are and how I should control myself on this date with this young woman. Remember who you are, it's all right there. The Apostle Paul says something similar here. Remember who you are. Remember that you are a new self being renewed in the image of God. Remember that that identity of belonging to Christ can drive how you behave in God's world. How do people change? It starts with recognizing and remembering who we really are. And if we're in Christ, if, if Christ lives in us, if Christ has given himself for us and he lives in us, then we belong to him as his chosen people, his holy and beloved people. And so therefore we live in his ways, remembering who we are. Second part of how people change is it's a slow process that's inside out. What do I mean by that? Well, Look at verse 5. It all starts with desires that are on the inside, desires that are in our hearts. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you or fleshly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
What Paul's labeling here are all internal things. These all are heart desires, heart commitments that we have on the inside, including sexual immorality. It's speaking to the bent, broken sexuality in our own hearts. And what Paul says here is those old, that old self those, with those old desires has been crucified with Christ. And now you and I are called into this active posture of killing those remnants of the old self, beginning with the desires in our hearts, because those desires begin to take shape into actions. So Paul says, let's deal with it on the heart level first. Those desires in verse 5 become actions in verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying to each other. All those things arise out of sinful desires in our hearts. And so when we think about change and we think about repentance in our lives, we we not only confess what we've done in rebellion against the Lord, but we also confess and seek to repent of the things that I want in my heart that are wrong the desires in my heart that are bent and broken and sinful, we repent of those desires as well. So we ask the Holy Spirit to do his work to be killing the sin that's deep within our hearts before it ever becomes an action that changes inside out. The same thing happens with our new self. Verse 12, putting on the new desires and heart commitments of compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Those are things that are on the inside of us. That's attitudes of, of lowliness and Christ-likeness that when they take root in our hearts, they begin to show up on the outside and how we live, verse 13. We begin to live as people who forgive as we have been forgiven. When those Christ-like attitudes take root in our hearts, we, verse 14, begin to love one another that binds us all together. You see, that change starts on the inside and works its way out. Now that it's fall, uh, Tim Page, our executive director here at Central, and I usually conduct our weekly meeting by walking around in the neighborhood. It's beautiful outside, and we get out of our chairs and and walk. And this week on our walk, I noticed that our sidewalks in the neighborhood are beginning to buckle a little bit. Have you guys noticed that? They're broken, they're cracked, the slabs of concrete are sticking up, and the city has come by, and they've sprayed white paint on the edges of some of those concrete places that would be a a tripping hazard. I think they're going to come back and repair it. I'm not sure, but I think that's what they want to do. Ever wonder how that happened? Why did the concrete get broken? Why did it, why did it pop up like it did? It, it used to be flat and even and nice, simple way to walk, a nice, even spot to have your feet fall and not have any tripping hazard at all. How did that happen? Well, it happened because the trees that are planted between the sidewalk and the street used to be little trees. And those little trees began to grow up and they grew roots that went down and some roots went underneath the concrete. And as the tree began to grow, the roots began to grow. And as it all got bigger, the concrete slabs began to be pushed up, began to be cracked and broken. All that stuff that's happening underground, underneath the earth, with tree roots you can't see, that's what's causing the concrete to pop up. It's a little bit like how the sinful desires in our hearts push up from the inside and begin to show up on the outside of your life. 
Those sinful desires, the, the, the impurity, the, the evil desires, the passions, the, even the sexual immorality, they push up out of our hearts and misshape our lives toward destruction and danger. And so the Lord calls us to try to put those evil desires to death by the power of the Holy Spirit at a heart level. The same thing works with our new self. Those interior desires of holiness and compassion and gentleness and humility push up and shape us to be forgiving people and, and loving people. It's an inside-out change process that is slow. Our growth isn't a straight line. If you wanted to chart time and spiritual growth, it's not a straight line up, is it? More often, the curve of our spiritual growth looks like spaghetti going up and down. I would like to believe, our culture would like us to believe that I'll be better tomorrow than I was yesterday and all of my motives and my loves and my behaviors, but the truth is that we fall down and we're dragged back into some of those old temptations. So we must remember who we are, that we're genuinely new creatures in Christ, that our sin our shame has been crucified in Christ. We are justified in his sight. We have the perfect righteousness of Jesus given to us. We're completely forgiven in the cross and we're still being sanctified. The Lord is at work by his power, giving us the strength to fight the remaining sinful desires in our hearts. But sometimes we may not even feel like we're growing at all. Sometimes it might feel like we're growing backwards. We live in a world that wants constantly better, onward and upward, every day better than the last. But that's not often how we feel about our spiritual growth, is it? But thanks be to God, our feelings don't determine our growth. Our feelings don't determine our status before God. Our feelings don't shape our standing before God. It's being joined to Jesus that does. It's the gospel of belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, who's alive within us now. That's what determines our standing before God, being justified. And his resurrection power is alive in you right now to help you and me fight against our old sin. When we consider that, that we're growing, even when we're growing slowly, it should give you hope. A great deal of hope because you're not who you once were. Not, your life is not exactly like it was 25 years ago. And that's because the Spirit of God is alive within you. Because He's changing you and growing you. We grow, we change by remembering who we are and by participating in that slow, inside-out process. But finally, we change in relationships. Somewhere along the way, many of us Christians began to believe the lie that change is all about me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. It's an individual project. Where Jesus comes and he works in me and he gives me power to work on me and somehow I'll become a different person. But that's not how the Bible presents it. We change in relationship with other people. We grow and we change in committed community with each other. None of us are spiritual islands seeking to grow all by ourselves. We grow in connection independence with God's people. So one author I read, and he's a college professor, and when his students go home and for fall break and spring break, he gives them a homework assignment. And so some of you are on fall break this week, so maybe you can take up this homework assignment yourself. What he tells them to do is when they go home, 
He says, I want you to just merely lift your shirt up and take note that you have a belly button. That's your homework. I want you to go home and look and see that you have a belly button because that is a reminder in your body that you were designed by God for connection to another human being. You literally were connected to your mother. You literally were were joined together to your mother. And now that mark on your body is a reminder that none of us are self-made. None of us grow by ourselves. None of us were designed to be independent. It's true physically. It's also true spiritually. Maybe we should all take a look at our spiritual belly button, as it were. That we were designed for fellowship. We were designed to be connected to one another in the body of Christ. We were designed to be dependent upon one another as we seek to grow in Christ. It's in relationships with each other that those sinful desires in our hearts are exposed and begin to be healed. It's in relationships with each other that those old passions and evil desires that Paul wrote about come out and fracture us as people. They destroy community, and we end up with the same sort of race and class and caste divisions that we find in verse 11. The the divisions where we're broken from one another, circumcised and uncircumcised, Jew and Greek, separated from each other. Barbarians, he says. Barbarian was a a little bit of a a put-down word because barbarian was a word for people who couldn't speak Greek very well. It just sounded like they're bumbling, bar, bar, bar. It's putting people down, ridiculing them. Scythians were the people who were considered on, on the bottom level of the caste system. They were the worst of the worst. Paul says, it's these evil desires that break us up into these race and class and caste divisions, but Christ is all and in all. He joins us back together as his people. When Christ begins to deal with the the sinful desires and motives in our hearts, he begins to put us back together as a people, being joined as all these different kind of people in one body. That's, That's his work. And he changes us when we are in relationship with each other. He changes our hearts as we get closer together. But let me ask you the question, do you have someone in your life who knows the truth about your heart? Do you have anybody in your life who can say something to you like, I see that old prejudice, I see that old desire, that old sin in your heart, and you don't realize it, but it's killing you. And Jesus in you is better than this. Jesus in you can bring you freedom from this. I love you too much not to say something. Do you have people like that in your life? People who know you well enough and can call you out, who can see what's happening on the inside of your heart, even before it comes out, who can recognize it and say, I love you too much not to push you toward Jesus because he can change you, can change me. We need relationships to grow. So often other people can see us better than we can see ourselves. Growth and change happens in relationships. It's in relationship with each other that not only we put off the old self, but put on the new self. Look at verse 13. He says we are bearing with one another. That's, that's for the person who is really hard to love, but still has a place in the community. Somebody who's, who's a lot, and yet we make space 
in the community for someone who might be a challenge to love. We bear with one another when compassion and kindness and humility are in our hearts. Those are the types of things we do. We bear with one another. We forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us. Verse 14, we put on love that binds it all together, wraps all of this community together in love. That's what the Lord does, even when it's hard. Some of you have been wounded in ways that are incredibly deep. They've shaped how you've lived your life. They've shaped how you've, how you've looked at God's world. And the Lord would call us to find a way to revoke that revenge that we desire and to offer forgiveness. And sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need people who love us to come alongside us and say, I know it's hard, but I'm here with you. I know you want payback, but it's not gonna be satisfying. We need someone to come alongside us and encourage us and bless us and point us to Jesus in that way of forgiveness, that way of love. That kind of deep change that can happen to make us into forgiving people only happens in relationships. It only works itself out in community. It's hard, and it takes a long time. That kind of heart-level change we shouldn't try to measure with the short horizons of days or weeks. We should be thinking about it in years and decades. How have we been changed? How have we been shaped by the presence of God's people as I've lived among you for all these years? We change by remembering who we are in that slow inside-out process that works itself out in relationships. Some of you still might be discouraged. I'm not changing like I want to. I'm not changing as fast as I want to. There are things about my life that I wish were so much different. And yet, friend, if you belong to Jesus, then that means Christ is alive in you. And he can bring change. He has, is at work in his people. Let me close with this. I read a story this week about the August 2010 mine collapse in Chile. Do you remember that? It was on the news and lots of articles written about it. There were 33 men who were down in a mine and the mine collapsed and these 33 guys got trapped in the tunnels. And all they had down there with them were a few cans of fish and some packages of cookies and that was all they had to try to stay alive. On day 17 of being trapped in that underground dark hole, they began to hear the sound of a machine grinding. And they moved that direction where they heard the sound coming from and all of a sudden there was a, a pop and then a whoosh of air escaping the tunnel. And so they ran to see and there was this tiny little hole that had been drilled through the rock. There was a drill that had broken through. There were other people on the other side of all those rocks trapping them in there. And yet now there was a spark. There was, there was a ray of light. There was a little bit of hope that they were able to be rescued. That was on day 17. They stayed down there for 52 more days, waiting, waiting, waiting. But what allowed them to survive for 52 more days was that light, that little hole that had been poked in the rock, that tiny little light at the end of a tunnel was able to keep them going in the right direction of hope. Friends, what I want you to know is that 
change and transformation in us can be like that too. You might feel like you're in this deep, dark hole of despair and you won't ever change. There may be people in your family, people in your life, and you think they're not going to change. What are we going to do? But friends, I want you to look again at that light of Christ, which is broken into your heart. The, the Lord of life in his power has pierced your heart to make you new. And he wants us to remember who we are, to remember that we are holy and chosen and beloved by the God who went to the cross for all of our sin and all of our shame and give us his own righteousness in exchange. And that same God is at work in you now. Keep looking to that light. Keep looking to who you are in Christ, that identity in Christ, even when it's slow. When it's, you're wondering, when is it ever going to reshape me completely? Keep your heart focused on that cross-shaped drill that has pierced the old man. Even though change is slow, Christ is at work in the lives of his people. As if you belong to him, you are holy and beloved by our creator and our redeemer and he will be at work shaping your life. Let's pray. Lord, we desperately need this work. We desperately need you, Holy Spirit, testifying to our hearts that this gospel is real, that we are new in Christ, that we are joined together with Jesus forever. And Lord, help us keep our eyes on Jesus when the change in our lives is hard and slow. Help us to see the light, the light of Jesus. Break in even in small places in our lives, even tiny changes. Buoy us up with hope because Lord, by your power, we aren't who we once were. So Lord, give us hope, give us strength as we are changed more and more into your image. And give us hearts that trust you while we wait. Also, Lord, give us hope for those we love, those around us who deeply and desperately need the work of Jesus. Lord, give us hope as we entrust them to your care. We do this all in the name of Jesus, the one who lived and died and was raised again that we might have eternal life. In his name we ask it. Amen.